Hey everyone, it's Chris Lestrino here, host of the Inside Startup Investing Podcast. Today on this episode, I'm speaking with Idris Ergondawal, who's a co-founder and CMO of the Oakland Roots and Soul Sports Club. I think you're going to find this one really, really interesting. This is an organization that I'm very passionate about because I am a major sports fan. And I've always dreamed of having the opportunity to actually invest in professional sports organizations. Um, I think there's something just so special about being able to be invested in something that you watch on TV, that you become a fan of, that you get so excited and behind. Um, and I also have always believed that there's major upside to investing in sports organizations. I remember when I was a young kid thinking that investing in an MLS team would be one of the best things you could do because soccer has so lagged in the U.S. in terms of popularity to that of the globe. And if we picked up even a little bit of kind of the global phenomena that is soccer, that it would eventually become a massive business here in the United States. And we're certainly beginning to see that, including with Inter Miami and Messi coming here. And all of the interest that's growing in this industry um, and in, in the soccer sports league is creating opportunity, I personally think, for real investment upside. So here's an organization that is in kind of the second tier of U.S. soccer and potentially has an opportunity down the road, we don't know yet, but in the future, to actually be able to rise up and go into the higher league of the MLS. Now, again, there's no guarantee that something like that will happen, but I am a believer that investing in a professional sports team right now in the soccer leagues in the United States is a really, really, really unique investment opportunity. And again, one that I'm personally passionate about. I can tell you I put $100 in, um, and I'm really looking forward to kind of riding the ride and watching this organization as it grows. And I think it's always cool to be able to invest alongside folks like Marshawn Lynch and, and GEZ and other folks and to be a part of something that's, you know, just starting up and is already having some real success. This is a competitive team that's won in the playoffs already, that's building their own stadium. I think you're going to hear a lot of things that do excite you as well. So let's get into it. Let's kick it off. First off, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to co-found um, Oakland's really only sports team, I think, at this point. Kind of crazy, right? Um, I couldn't have, have dreamt it um, myself, man. I'm a byproduct of refugees um, from Afghanistan that fled uh, the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan in the late 80s, or early to mid-80s, I should say. Um, Oakland was where they came. The Bay Area was the place that embraced them. And, um, you know, it was a place that they were able to call home, right? It, it felt um, very much like a communal place. It felt like a diverse community that um, appreciated, you know, folks like my parents. And I was born in Oakland, um, raised in the Bay Area my whole life. I have you know, been very, very passionate about building brands that um, are creating impact in the world. And I always say that I don't want to participate in things that don't move the needle in some respect or, or regard, um, partially because my parents are, again, byproducts of, um, of, you know, war and, you know, fleeing war. And, you know, I wanted to make something of not only my life, but the lives of so many people here in Oakland, as well as the Bay Area, that have had some type of a struggle, um, you know, specifically our Black and Brown community, which you know has been marginalized for so so much of time, um, and you know, this passion for purpose, this passion for football, um, is what my family calls it, um, as well as you know, this lens that 
you know, branding and marketing can be an incredible tool for storytelling, as well as, um, you know, a tool for changing the way people perceive the world, right? Um, all of that kind of converged when I met my co-founders. Uh, we sat at the table uh, at a coffee shop and said, hey, why not create a professional soccer team in Oakland? At the time, teams were already uh, functioning in Oakland. Um, there was no real intent to, for those teams to leave. But shortly after our idea germinated and we had conversations, you know, we learned of the Warriors and the Raiders and others departing. And now we're in this position after four years of this idea being in existence. Um, you know, we are Oakland's last and best hope for professional sports. And I, I think the timing is incredible. I didn't necessarily ask for it because I feel like the more sports in Oakland, the better. Um, but the way in which we're building this club and it being a purpose-driven, purpose-oriented organization, you know, and us being the last team in Oakland, it really means that there's a lens on us and that lens uh, is now being amplified in a way that is meaningful. And we have an opportunity to really tell a story of purpose. And so we kicked off our first game August uh, 31st of 2019. I couldn't even you know, imagine how many people would show up to this game and ended up being a, a sellout game. That game really set the precedent for the remainder of the, the 2019 season. Um, and then the pandemic happened and we had to figure out how to be relevant in a world where everything stops, right? And we leaned into our purpose unapologetically and provided support to local small businesses, told the stories around black and brown entrepreneurs and, and folks in our community and really championed anti-racist efforts um, throughout soccer and coaching curriculum and led the campaign for um, this, this, um, this strategy called Play Proud by Common Goal that increases inclusivity um, at, in regards to the, our LGBTQ plus community. And so all of these things were things we were able to do during the pandemic because of who we were, not because we were forced to do it or because there wasn't anything else. It was it felt organic, it felt natural. That really catapulted us into the USL Championship, which is a Division II uh, tier that we currently compete in. And uh, we're, we're building, man. It's been an incredible journey. Uh, this year, we launched our community investment round, of which has been one of the most successful in American sports history. And um, we've gotten an ENA, an exclusive negotiation agreement on a stadium in, in deep East Oakland, which would be our home for the next 10 years. So lots of tremendous progress. It's humbling. Um, I could have never imagined, you know, a 34-year-old Afghan-American, you know, uh, co-founding a professional soccer team. But Chris, back to your point, and I've talked a lot here, I apologize. Back to your point, you know, these things throughout the entire world are built from the ground up. They're built by communities. They're built by common people at pubs. And in America, they're generally fueled by billionaires, you know, parking a bus on a community. When things don't work out, they package up their product and they move somewhere else. That model doesn't sit well with me. And being from Oakland in this community, um, you know, I want to I wanna change that uh, for the better. So here we are. Love this story, um, and it, it's certainly an inspirational one, and, and kudos to you for all that you've been able to accomplish, and you as a, a team have been able to accomplish. I want to help folks understand who don't necessarily know um, soccer, football here in the United States. Um, mm -hmm. There's a USL and there's an MLS. The USL is very much a professional league, right? It's it's basically one level down. It's kind of like 
Premier League of the U.S. is MLS, and your Champions League, if you know the U.K. well, is your USL. So can you talk about your division? Um, and then also talk about, you know, is there discussion or a future where you could see, like in Europe, where they have the ability to move up into the MLS or, you know, MLS teams have to move down based on relegation and things like that? Or do you yeah. think that's likely not going to happen? Yeah, great questions all around. I think I would start with um, the U.S. soccer structure for people that are listening and don't necessarily know how it works. In Europe, it's all merit-based. So you could be a small club that Chris in a jury start in a small village in, in England, and that club can have a lot of resources be put behind it. And those resources can lead the team to be successful at the lowest level in Europe. And that team can progress its way up to the top division and play the likes of the Manchester United and so on by way of uh, merit, building um, a, a state-of-the-art organization, having the facilities, winning, and winning ultimately gets you to elevate um, throughout these levels to play at the highest level. In America, that model is a little bit different, right? Uh, it's franchise-based. Uh, there's different leagues. You have to buy into the leagues. There's territorial rights, which, again, I, I think there's like some level of sense when we when we think about that model, because a lot of American sports relies on infrastructure and stadiums to be financially sustainable and viable. And so we fully recognize that, like, we need to be a financially sustainable club. We need to have a home where our men's, women's and development team can play out of. Um, so that our operational costs are reduced and we're able to like, welcome more fans. These are just harsh realities in America where like having stadium infrastructure isn't as easy as say in Europe, right? Especially for soccer. Pro standards in soccer are also pretty tough. You can't have a football line fields. You can't have field goals. You know, there's, there's standards that you have to have to hit in order to meet the professional requirements, which makes access to facilities in America very, very difficult, which is part of our issue here in Oakland. So building a stadium is important. We recognize that. Um, America is also going through an incredible time period where the USL, our league that we operate in, USL Championship specifically, which is Division Two, one division right below Major League Soccer, um, as you mentioned, is thinking about ways in which it could differentiate itself. And promotion relegation has kind of been you know, in the background of discussions for quite some time with this league, this isn't new news. It's out there in the real world, so I'm not leaking anything. Um, but, you know, this is, it's, it's been a long time conversation of not only the USL, but American soccer in general. Fans want it. Fans appreciate it. But again, we, we are operating in a, in a society and world that is very capitalistic in its nature, right? There's territory rights. There's licenses, there's franchises. And our philosophy is very simple. We want to build the biggest possible team and club as we can with Oakland in its name. We want to grow this club as big as we possibly can, as long as the community supports us. And the, the philosophy is club over league in that we can't necessarily rely on a league to be successful. We have to build our brand, our community, our identity, and the league in which we operate in, you know, shouldn't necessarily matter at the end of the day because we've built um, a cultural institution that is connected with and identifies with the city of Oakland, California. And so that's that's our stance on all of it is like, you know, 
we don't want to be in the game of figuring out where the American soccer structure goes. We want to be in the game of building a cultural institution in Oakland that lasts 100 plus years and I can take it to the highest level possible um, as long as our fans support us. Yeah, you fielded a, a pretty competitive team that's made the playoffs, I believe, every year since you've been in the league. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about your your team management, right? The coach and the general manager. Yeah, absolutely. So really kind of a big pride point of ours. Our head coach, Noah Delgado, is actually East Bay Area raised kid. Has been a East Bay resident for his whole life. Um, our assistant coach, Coach Gavin, is also an East Bay resident. So there's a tremendous tie and connection to Oakland as well as the East Bay Area landscape. Our hashtag is Oakland first always, right, Chris? So we have to always have that lens and um, that view on the world that we're creating here. And just super grateful for these coaches because they understand the local impact. They understand what it means to be from here and, and to speak like the people from here as well. How do you feel the team that actually plays as if it represents the city of Oakland, right? Good in tight spaces, creative, fast paced, and at the end of the day is a winning organization. People tend to forget Oakland fans want a winning team and a winning organization. And despite some of the teams being here and having bad spells every now and then, you know, we have an impeccable brand in Oakland. We've had, we've been at the center of political activism and culture for several years and sports should be no different. It should be at, held at that standard and high level. And so they want to win. And another kind of big pride point is that we um, have a technical director as, as well as a director of player personnel, of which constitute, you know, two of probably four black men in positions of technical soccer power in American soccer. And that's a big pride point for us in that, you know, it, it changes the lens on what is possible in American structure as American soccer structures have been very suburban. They've been very boxed off from our urban communities. And, um, you know, we're also changing the game in that sense too. You've also been investing, it appears as though, in, in kind of your future pipeline of talent with Project 510 and your academy team. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that program and what that looks like? Absolutely. So Project 510 is our development program. Um, there's a meaning to the name. It's called Project 510 because we wanted all of that youth that funnel through the 510 pipeline to really be from the Bay Area or the 510 area code. Um, we are home to some of the biggest college programs in the nation, Stanford, Cal, Santa Clara, the list goes on and on and on. And so the sh there's no shortage of soccer talent in the Bay Area, both on the men's and women's side. And we recognize that. We believe that the next national team can be possibly fielded by Bay Area youth alone, but there needs to be a proper pipeline and development in order for that to be accomplished. And we just haven't seen it. There's a lot of youth clubs that are doing an incredible job. There's over 50,000 youth playing in the Bay Area, but they're really the pathways to professional are a bit limited. We have the San Jose Earthquakes in San Jose, which is considered South Bay Area. There's, there was nothing in the East Bay Area and San Francisco. And so, again, growing up here, I always wanted to see the ability for someone in the 510 to have access to professional amenities, professional facilities, and then see that development pathway to, um, to either play for our first team or somewhere else overseas or for another team in the United States. But now that pathway is real. And with the introduction of Oakland Soul, 
And as they elevate to professional in 2025, when our stadium is built, we'll be able to then create a, a women's program under Project 5.0 that will, will really kind of dual track our development pipeline. So really excited about that. And the organization as a whole, man, are just like very juiced about this effort because we've seen young kids from 13, 14 now make their debuts to the first team and make an impact. So it's special. Now, for those who follow, you know, European soccer, a lot of times those academies could actually become quite lucrative as part of the overall business model mm -hmm. because you could get transfer fees where you have great talent and people are willing to pay to acquire that talent. Um, is that similar? Are you going to be able to see players kind of transfer out to the European markets and actually get paid for that as well? Totally. Yeah. I mean, it, it, this is uh, something that occurred to us earlier this year with Drew Murray and Ethan Kohler, who we were able to acquire from the San Jose Earthquakes Academy and develop here with our first team over the course of a year and now are playing in the Bundesliga, both of them. So the the USL Championship has exhibited multiple uh, examples of this. I think Orange County had a seven-figure um, deal to send someone overseas. Uh, Louisville had a record number this year in sending a talent overseas. And so the USL Championship is actually prime position to be a place where young talent is able to get exposure to high-level soccer, high-paced soccer, and develop enough to then be attractive for a European team that really is able to take that talent to another level. And so we are certainly thinking about this. We're thinking about how we can incentivize youth clubs in, in our NorCal area. Because again, our, our goal is not to compete with the youth clubs. Our goal is to work with the youth clubs to develop talent. And it's a bit of a different model than most. Most teams will go and start an academy overnight and then get all that money for the program. And for us, there's too many youth clubs already doing an incredible job of developing. How can we step into the system and say, hey, XYZ player is has a lot of potential and talent. Let's get them into our environment, help develop them. And in the case that they do sell to Europe, we're able to not only provide a kickback to the club, but to the youth club that actually contributed for a majority of that child's life, right? So there's a lot that we're thinking about that is also different from a development yeah. standpoint. We're learning from, from European teams who have done it so well for so long, so. Financially, it looks like you guys are doing really well. Um, so can you talk about how you generate revenue, what the different areas are, and what do TV yeah. rights look like in this space? Yeah, so the league uh, doesn't necessarily have any TV rights structured yet, um, but that is somewhere the league is excited to explore and go. Um, we, as a club, predominantly make our revenues off of three avenues. Those avenues are partnerships, ticketing, and merchandising. Um, there are other avenues such as developing player talent and selling them overseas, but those really are the crux of of our revenue models. And, um, you know, we've, we've seen those kind of exponentially rise since our, since our start in 2019. And I, I attribute that to our ability to be tremendously connected to our community, live authentically to our purpose and show up in ways in which, um, the world interacts with our content a bit differently than say, uh, another club. And, We've we've seen just amazing social growth. Our database has been absolute incredible in its growth, and the revenues surely reflect that. And I, I think the the thing that we're dealing with is how do you keep our cost structure down 
while we're developing a stadium to then, you know, really level set and, and help our, our revenues five, 10 X as we get there, you know? And again, we're, we're really, really bullish and passionate about building a model that is uh, purpose first and then profit being community first, being community oriented, doing the right thing it inevitably leads to the community and partners and others supporting your efforts. And then of course, you know, leaning into uh, being one of the coolest teams in America surely helps with our swag and the the merchandise we develop. So all of that, it kind of makes up the recipe. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about this stadium. I mean, that, that sounds really exciting. Is the stadium going to be owned by the team and is it already under development? So um, I mentioned it earlier that we are in an exclusive negotiation agreement with the city and the county to develop a 10,000 seat stadium at the Malibu lot, which is currently adjacent to the Coliseum, um, iconic sporting venue in Oakland. So a familiar venue, uh, venue that has a high um, visibility from the freeway, from a partnerships perspective, you have public transportation access, parking. It's one of the best sporting venues as it relates to access and um, transportation. So we're really, really excited about the potential of being there. The next six to 10 months look like us, um, making sure that this agreement crosses the line with the city and the county. Once that happens, we're looking at shovels in the ground early to mid next year in time for our 2025 season. It would be 100% privately financed by our investors. It, um, it would be a 10 year lease at the lot and again, the lease would just allow us to uh, recoup some of the, the hard costs that would go into uh, a rental agreement that we wouldn't you know, own. Um, and the hope is that during those 10 years, we're able to work on our permanent forever home uh, that would be the 100-plus-year home in Oakland. Um, and as we all know, building stadiums in Oakland is difficult, but having a pathway to 10 years and being able to work on that long-term home simultaneously is, is the objective. And the way in which this uh, stadium will be built is it's all modular. So, you know, I take a look at Inter-Miami, Phoenix Rising. These are some of the stadiums in the real world today that are modular components. You buy a kit of parts, they arrive, they assemble in about six months. You could also break it down and move it in the case that you need to as well. So we're really excited about this setup because it gives us our own home and a bit of stability. So. I wanted to go back and talk a little bit more about the women's team. Tell us about when that came about um, and and the plan to get them to the USL by 2025. Women's team, Oakland Soul, was actually something we've always wanted at, at the start with. When we came up with the concept of bringing professional soccer to Oakland, a women's team was at the front of mind. My little sister played professional. She was the captain of the Afghanistan national soccer team, played in at Florence, um, was in the Bundesliga also, um, playing for Duisburg. So, you know, she was an inspiration to me. And I, I, I got really upset when, you know, she had to go through the process of playing at the highest possible level, then retiring and then having no financial kind of support or foundation to go into her next chapter. And that's why we wanted to start a women's program. We wanted to do it right. We wanted to lean into the correct intentions and build it in a way that as we know, the women's game, you know, hasn't really been built the best um, it possibly could in America. And so we wanted to flip that narrative and change it. Um, at the time, the pathway to building a women's uh, team 
wasn't there. You had to go straight to NWSL and there was nothing in between. The USL since has now launched the W League, which is an amateur uh, league that allows for pretty much zero barrier to entry, you know, and we've seen dozens and dozens of teams show up in America under the, the W League. And they're currently creating a second um, a league called the USL Super League, which will be competing in Division One, equivalent to NWSL. So now we're at this inflection point where we now have two pathways to Division One, the highest level in, in the women's game, NWSL being one, USL Super League being another. And we hope that when we have our own facility that we control and um, is equitable, you know, we would elevate our women's program to professional to then have two top tier programs here in Oakland. You've certainly brought on some really interesting folks to be involved with the organization, especially on the investor side. Um, as I mentioned at the the open of this, you know, Marshawn Lynch, GEZ, and, and a whole list of really interesting, pretty cool people. Um, talk to us about, you know, the makeup, the investor base, why and how you've kind of brought these folks on and what you think it is that gets them so excited about being a part of this, really this movement. Yeah, I mean, in every pitch, uh, Chris, I say that we want to become one of the biggest teams in the world. And we want to do that with Oakland in its name. And furthermore, Oakland is a place where, you know, when you're from here, you have a tremendous sense of pride in connection to this area. It's unlike anywhere anywhere in the world. There's a, a sense of like camaraderie and, you know, I, I can't even put it into words. You know, it's like this this very um, amazing sense of connection here um, for people in Oakland. And, you know, whether you're G-Eazy or you're Marshawn or Billy Joe Armstrong or you know, Josh Johnson, these are all people involved in our club now. The It always comes back to Oakland. And it always comes back to doing something that enhances the community, which gave them the ability to be who they are. And um, all of these folks wanted to be a part of that movement. They wanted to be a part of the swag and the cool that comes along with building, you know, a, a new wave of professional sports entities. And furthermore, uh, when something gives back and really shows up in Oakland, the community shows up for for it. Um, it is one of the most accountable places in the world. If you're moving the wrong way, people will hold you accountable, you know? And we've, uh, knock on wood, did an incredible job of just being present, always saying yes to every request, showing up in times that are difficult to show up. And in return, the community has showed up to games, the community has supported the club, and the OGs, the influencers, the celebrities, um, you don't want to be a part of that movement and continue that process. So... Our purpose is at the heart of everything, man, and that bleeds through. It's it's intentional, it's authentic, and people, common as well as celebrities, feel that. And actually, this is why we created the community investment round. It was not enough for us to be uh, raising money only from accredited investors. We wanted the wider community to be a part of that process. Non-accredited can now become owners you know, and can live on the cap table the same way that, you know, a, a investor in, in the millions lives, you know, and, and that's, that's something really special. And they get to really participate in the value creation and value upside 
of this club becoming one of the biggest things in the world one day. And um, I think that's generational. That's um, something money can't buy. It's passion. And when you mix Oakland in that, it becomes something very special. So we have 6,000 new investors because of this community investment round. And um, it's a special thing to see. For those who are listening, you know, you guys have already sold out, I think, are over 2.7 million of, of the current round, and I think is up to about 3 million. Um, if they're interested, what is kind of your final pitch to them? You know, I'll give you the last word on that one. Appreciate it, Chris. So, but our, our goal was to raise 2 million, and we hit that in one week, which was absolutely incredible. It's now become one of the most successful community raises in American sports history. We have the ability to raise up to five um, per the SEC. And so I would just advise and um, advocate for anyone that is passionate about our cause, anyone that is passionate about owning a professional sports team and participating in the value creation uh, collectively, you know, this is your chance. Um, We plan to close the round in the next few weeks. Um, I think we're up to 2.4, 2.5 million. And so there is definitely time and ability to get involved. Visit wefunder.com slash Oakland in order to learn more as well as participate and invest. And um, yeah, just super grateful. Uh, Thanks for letting me talk through um, a lot of the things that I'm passionate about. I'm speaking a lot about everything, Chris, so I apologize. Um, But yeah, thank you for the times. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you want to use the same tools I do to find amazing founders like the ones I have on the show to power your investment decisions, you can head on over to kingscrowd.com backslash startups to try out our Edge Toolkit for 30 days free.